It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. It is a frosty sort of Thursday around here. The sun is out, but uh, we got some snow to melt out here in central Nebraska and many places. But uh, it's all right. It will be melting. That's the good news. In the next couple of days, we should see most of that go away. Scott Foster here with you, along with Jason Jorgensen and Bob Brogan and Susan Littlefield from the Nebraska Cattlemen's Classic. Good morning, Susan. Oh, good morning. Yeah, there's a little bit of snow on the ground here as well. Well, that's good. I'm glad we can share that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it is, uh, it's bull day out there at the Cattleman's Classic is what I've heard, huh? It, it is. Starting at noon, it's going to get crazy. They're going to sell all the bulls, not, not taking a break from start to finish. So it's a great opportunity if you're looking specifically for bulls to be out here today. Okay. Well, what do you have for us for our midday program? Well, we're going to kick it off here at 1219, the Equine Foot and Hoof Care Clinic. We're going to get more from Rebel and Dr. Kathy Anderson as she talks about an event that is coming up for producers. And Shaylee Peters is set to step in. She will be in here at 1245 as we hear from John Coles. He's with Bank. He's a senior livestock analyst. So we'll be looking about what's happening in the agricultural industry for that. And then we'll wrap it all up coming up at 117. As um, my computer's decided, it's not going to let me tell you what 117 is all about. It'll so give be me a half mystery. a second here. We'll go to. Well, it's we, Bryce, but we're going to do uh, soybeans and the gall midge. Uh, there's a roundtable meeting that's taking place, so we'll get more on that. Okay. All right. Very good. Lots of stuff coming our way. Thank you, Susan. Enjoy your time there. No problem. Turn it over to Jason in uh, one of the bigger shows that uh, high school sports put on is the uh, state wrestling meet in Omaha, and that has is underway. It is underway in classes B and C. They're working their way through those first-round matches. They've made it to uh, 195 pounds. Classes A and D will start out with first-round action at 4. For more information on all of that, you can check that out, krvn.com. Also, the Nebraska men's basketball team back at home tonight. Trying to end a 10-game losing streak. One of the storylines is that head coach Fred Hoiberg, his kid, plays for Michigan State. That's right. So if you uh, happen to watch the broadcast tonight on BTN, uh, they'll probably drive that storyline into the ground and then drive back over it again and then hit it again on the way out the gate. So (laughs) I'm just saying. We're looking for storylines, let's be honest. True. Very true. <laughs> also, the UNK women and men, they are back at home. Next to last home game tonight wow. for the Lopers as they will welcome in Northeastern State with a women's game at 530, men's game at 730. Of course, if you can't make it to the Health and Sports Center, we will have those games over on our sister station, 93.1 The River. You can also listen on the River app. And sub-district basketball tonight, C-111. You will be in North Platte as Gothenburg takes on Chase County. Uh, an, an intriguing matchup, to be sure. So, uh, thank you, Jason. I appreciate you it. Have a better storyline in that one than the Huskers of Michigan State. I'll, I'll fight one. I'll, <laughs> I'll fight it and rub it into the ground, too. All right. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. We turn it over to Bob Brogan. And stocks not uh, having such a good day today. They're a little bit lower. And uh, that's following a record setting day for the indexes yesterday. The virus outbreak is. Uh, Again, throwing punches, originating that uh, virus originating in China remains a lingering concern as more companies say they'll be affected also. Morgan Stanley is buying online brokerage E-Trade for about $13 billion, and Victoria's Secret is being sold. The company has been beset by falling sales and uncomfortable questions. Well, when you're Victoria's Secret, you're going to be questioned. 
I'm just I'm gonna go ahead and leave just that there. Along. Yeah, we're just gonna move along. All right, thank you very much. That's all coming up on mid. Well, it's time for us to check in on our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in here, and uh, uh, I, I think maybe, uh, you know, looking at the satellite, there was a little more snow than I thought, but it, Gothenburg got more snow than Lexington did, you know, so it's kind of spotty a little bit. Yeah, a lot but, of locations, about one to four inches uh-huh. of snow, and uh, Fedford, just or just to the southwest of Mullen, they had the most with 10 inches of oh, snow really? out of the oh, system. Wow. So a lot of the Nebraska Sandhills getting the bulk of the snow. And if you take a look at a visible satellite map right now, you will see, since we have clear skies, you can see the snow cover uh, quite prevalent uh, along and north of the line from about Sydney, Ogallala, North Platte, then down to about the Lexington, Holdridge, and Crete area. To the north of that, a lot of snow, and also a lot of snow over western and central Kansas from this system. Kind of a gap in the snow coverage, though. And right along the Nebraska-Kansas border, not too much snow showing up, but uh, definitely a one to four inch snow. And that fl- snow, very fluffy and dry, so it accumulated a lot quicker. Good. So it probably won't have a whole lot of moisture to, uh, when it does melt off here. and probably just going to vaporize as it does uh, melt across the area. Did I see that Wayne had was 16 below? Yes, and, yes the state low in, it was in Nebraska, in central Nebraska and in the northeast okay. part of Nebraska, uh, Broken Bow got down to 16 below, and Wayne had 16 below. It was, this was the coldest morning of the season thus far because many locations had temperatures down around 5 below. That wasn't the coldest in the nation, though. Okay. By far, it wasn't the coldest. 44 below zero this morning in Peter Sinks, Utah. It's notoriously <laughs> one of the coldest parts of the country and usually has one of the nation's low, but 44 below uh. zero this morning. So if you thought 16 below was cold in Broken Bow and Wayne this morning, uh, think again. It was much colder out in Utah. <laughs> right now, temperatures have moderated thanks to some westerly winds and some sunshine. Temperatures, for the most part, across the area in the upper teens to the low 20s. Looking at a milder day today with that sunshine sticking around. The temperature still will be only about 10 degrees colder than normal as the Arctic air starts to finally dislodge. Winds will be light out of the southwest as we see a ridge of high pressure build east. Any snow cover from today, not going to last long over the next few days. For tomorrow and Saturday, temperatures slightly above normal for tomorrow and then nearly 15 degrees warmer than normal as we head towards Saturday. Southwest winds for tomorrow on the breezy side as we sit between high pressure over the southeast part of Kansas and some incoming low pressure. Winds not as strong during the day Saturday, but by the end of the day they will increase. The weather turns more active and wet on Sunday as low pressure tracks across Kansas. Expecting some widespread precipitation with this system across Kansas into the southern half of Nebraska with lesser chances as you go to the north. Precipitation mostly rain with this system on Sunday, but a mix or change to snow by Sunday night is possible as some colder air is drawn in on the backside. But right now, mainly a rain event with that system on Sunday, especially since it will be moving through the daytime hours with the best chances. After that system departs, Forecast models do diverge on the handling of an area of low pressure that will be tracking southeast out of the Pacific Northwest and then entering the plains by Tuesday. Either way, with that system, it looks to be colder with a chance at accumulating snow. But once again, it's not coming out of the four corners, so that uh, 
chance for major accumulations not as great. Wouldn't be surprised if we do see a system kind of like we saw yesterday. In the long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures are likely to be colder than normal, especially early on for Tuesday through the first four days of next month. Slightly above normal precipitation is likely for Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. the middle of next week. But then Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the U.S. will be drier than normal with below normal precipitation late next week through March 4th. Taking a look at the latest regional drought monitor, Nebraska remains 96% drought-free with just abnormal dryness southwest of a line from Sydney to McCook. Kansas improved two percentage points to 72% drought-free. Low-end drought remains over much of the west and the south-central stretching from Coldwater to Hutchinson and Cottonwood Falls. Moderate to severe drought continues in southwest Kansas or along and south of the line from Tribune to Scott City. Key weather factors affecting the markets include rain and snow in the forecast for the Midwest the final days of the month and continued favorable conditions for Brazil soybean harvest. The Midwest mostly dry through Saturday, but wet soils remain a concern. Just ahead of spring field work with another storm that's expected to spread moderate to heavy rain across most of the Midwest Sunday into Tuesday. Snow, some of that will be some moderate snow over northern areas of the Midwest. Across the southern plains, snow today in western areas and rain with snow six to ten days out will offer some beneficial soil moisture for the wheat and pastures. Brazil's crop weather remains beneficial. North and central areas will see periods of rain offer favorable moisture for second crop corn, only delaying the soybean harvest slightly. Estimates point to a record soybean crop despite south and northeast Brazil expected to be on the drier side. All right. Very good. Well... Looks like another decent weekend. It'll be good. That snow's not going to stick around very no, long, is it? Yeah. We're going to go from sub-zero readings this morning, the coldest morning of the season thus far, to some very mild temperatures over this weekend. A lot of us expected to be into the mid to upper 50s on Saturday. It should wow. be a great day. Wow. Man, we are getting some good weekends. That's, uh-huh. that's at least one day out of the weekend has pretty, been pretty good, so we will we'll take it for sure. Thank you. Appreciate it. Paul, where do you go to check in on your weather? Your weather tab, krvn.com. Nike. The University of Nebraska-Lincoln is offering those in the equine industry a chance to learn about horse maintenance through the Equine Foot and Hoof Care Clinic. I'm visiting with Dr. Kathy Anderson, UNL Extension Horse Specialist. Tell me about the clinic and what topics will be covered. Yeah, we're pretty excited about this because um, we're bringing in two really um, well-known um, individuals from actually from Root and Riddle back in Lexington, Kentucky, and it's all focused on um, foot and hoof care. <clears throat> and so they're going to go through some things, um, kind of some live dem- demonstrations on foot care, uh, go through some lecture material on things related to um, the horse's hoof and foot, and so uh, also kind of look at different techniques for healthy hoof and the problem foot. and. Um, so just a variety of things related to that. So it should be a very um, information-packed day. So who is this clinic geared toward? Well, really, it's fairly broad-reaching um, because we are really focusing and, and reaching out to veterinarians, technicians, farriers, but also our horse owners because I think that part of what they want to really push is kind of looking at and, and fostering that partnership between the farrier, the, fa- the farrier, the veterinarian, and the horse owner. And so I think all, whenever, if each of them have a better understanding, they can all work together, um, you know, t- for their horse in a better way. 
So you mentioned that there will be some knowledgeable presenters at the clinic. Who specifically will be sharing their expertise? Okay, well, um, we've got one veterinarian. His name is Scott Fleming. He's a veterinarian um, from Root and Riddle. And, um, and then the other individual is Sam Zielinski, who's a certified journeyman, and he's also from Root and Riddle, which is one of the premier equine hospitals back in Lexington, Kentucky. And so they're both going to bring a, really a wealth of information, one from a veterinary standpoint, one from um, a, a very high level of dieters standpoint. What topics and concepts specific to foot and hoof care will be covered, and why is having this knowledge base important for all horse owners? Um, well, some of the specific kinds of things are, again, some of the demonstrations about how to do some corrective types of things and different pro problems and issues. They actually start off today with um, some lecture material, looking at some different things as far as hoof anatomy, um, any potential problems and common lameness types of things with horses. And then also they're going to really go through kind of their views on developing a partnership between the veterinarians, the fair, and the horse owners. And then also, um, because with having it here at the Unit Animal Science Complex, we can have both easily um, demonstrations and lectures at the same time and have some good conversation and discussion going on um, throughout the whole session. How can those interested register for the clinic? Um, well, really now, um, probably the best thing, because it is this weekend on Saturday, the best way to do is really just to show up. You can go onto our website um, and you can go to the UNL Animal Science and look for equine extension and there's an online registration form uh, so then we can have a good handle on how many are coming because we, we are providing lunch and then also really pretty much to show up and it's going to be held in the RV Warren Arena um, in the UNL Animal Science Complex. Is there anything else you'd like to add about the clinic or any other upcoming events that you'd like to talk about? We haven't done one focused on health care before with a couple of folks like this, so it really should be a pretty, um, pretty great day. Once again, I'm visiting with Dr. Kathy Anderson about the Equine Hoof and Foot Care Clinic that will take place from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. this Saturday, February 22nd, at the UNL Animal Science Complex. Broadcasting today from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Rebel Seclocha on the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at sports on a busy Thursday. The Nebraska State, the NSAA, I guess call it, officially call it the uh, wrestling tournament taking place in Omaha. Quite a spectacle, and it is going. It is. Classes B and C in their second round matches at this time. Classes A and D hit the mat later on this afternoon at 4. Defending team champs include Millard South in Class A, Northwestern B. Valentine is looking for its fourth consecutive title in Class C. It's very I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. they're, they're, I know their coaching is really good up there, but I didn't realize it was four in a row. They don't, uh, that's very impressive. I mean, they don't have the recruiting base that others have. And uh, Plainview is the defending champ in Class D. We'll chalk up another loss for the Nebraska women's basketball team. Last night they went 0 for 16 from three-point range. And, Fell at Ohio State 65-52. After starting the year at 11-1, the Huskers have come crashing back to earth. They've now dropped six of their last seven to stand at 16-11 overall to 6-10. Big Ten action. Husker men have also had a year to forget. They're back at home tonight as they face 25th-ranked Michigan State. Huskers have dropped 10 in a row. They have not won since beating Iowa back on January 7th. 
Now, here's a big storyline tonight. Head coach Fred Hoiberg's son, Jack, is a member of the Michigan State squad. Tip-off of this one is set for 7.30. We will bring it to you on 880-KRVN. Conspiracy theories out now that he gave Fred Hoiberg the playbook. Not that it'll matter. (laughs) It won't matter. It won't matter. It's the next and last home game for the UNK basketball squads tonight as they'll take on Northeastern. The Loper women are coming off just their third loss of the season. They fell on the road to 16th-ranked Central Missouri on Saturday, but they are ranked 5th in the first Central Regional rankings of the year. Of course, the top eight teams at the end of the season make the NCAA tournament. On the men's side, the Lopers are 15-9. and Tonight's women's game starts at 5.30. Men's game at 7.30. We will bring you those games over on 93.1 The River and on the River app. The Holdridge Public Schools, they're one step closer to making big renovations to their music and athletic facilities. Today's meeting, it was a deadline for contractors to turn in their bids for the project, which includes upgrades to the high school vocal music and band rooms, as well as renovating the bleacher seating in the press boxes at the football field. School board will have a special meeting on Monday at noon to take action on the bids. Superintendent Todd Hilliard says we'll have some tough decisions to make. We did appear to be some some competitive bidding. A lot of the prices were were fairly close. Um, the bids were did come in higher than what we were estimating. So the um, the board will definitely have some difficult decisions ahead of time. This is something that they've been considering for quite some time. Hilliard also says the upgrade specifically to the athletic complex will help the school meet ADA standards as well as increase overall comfort for spectators at events. Among other parts to the overall project, the complex include the stadium, would get new LED lights to better illuminate the field and last longer than the current lighting system. There also would be new fiber ran to the press box and fully automatic timing system locations around the track, so it'll keep the field. Yeah. It's already one of my favorite places to call a game the way it is. So, good stuff. Big things happening in Holdridge. That's a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. All right. Thank you, Jason. KRVN is on YouTube. Now streaming video on demand. Subscribe to KRVN Radio on YouTube for news, weather, agriculture reports, and more. Time for us to take a look at news here at 1230. Dave Schroeder in here with me. Welcome, Dave. Well, good. Welcome. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I threw you. You were ready for an intro, man. I was not ready for that. I apologize. Well, you know, it is good news today, too, for 57 Americans who have been held in quarantine at the Nebraska National Guard camp near Ashland as they're prepare- preparing to leave today. They landed at Omaha's Epley Airfield on February 7th, having flown from the Wuhan region of China. They soon were bused to Camp Ashland. One who developed a cough was later tested for the virus and was cleared. They've not been asked to wear masks or take any other health measures as they leave or once they arrive home. A Centers for Disease Control and Prevention spokesman says there's no need because they're all healthy. Dawson County is conducting a service array survey day on February 25th at the Opportunity Center in Lexington. Community members are invited to join the Nebraska Children and Families Foundation to speak on what services are needed in the area. Nicole Hetz, Dawson County Community Wellbeing Coordinator, adds more. It's really a chance for us to find out what services are available to children and families, what services are being used. Um, what the quality of these services are or how they're being presented, and if there are enough services. 
The Team Jack Foundation's annual gala is Saturday evening at the Cornhusker Hotel in Lincoln and all the proceeds benefiting pediatric brain cancer research. Kylie Docketer of the Team Jack Foundation on why it's such a special event. I think what's really special about this event is we work with about almost 60 families. We don't fund families, but we just have formed kind of this Team Jack family is what we call it. We work as kind of a support group almost for the families. We introduce them to other families. So what's really neat about this event is that's when all the families get together and see each other and just celebrate. For us, it's a good way for us to just update our donors and kind of relay to supporters of Team Jack what we've been doing the last year. ABC News 2020 anchor and cancer thriver Amy Roback is this year's keynote speaker. Roback was diagnosed in 2013 with breast cancer, and she will tell about her personal experience to overcome the diagnosis. A woman suspected in the killings of a Kansas couple who are working as carnival workers pleaded not guilty to several charges. Kimberly Younger of Florida entered the plea in the death of Alfred and Pauline Carpenter, who are working as vendors at the Barton County Fair in July of 2018 when they were killed, driven to Arkansas, and buried. She is charged with six counts, including capital murder. That's a check of news on the Rural Radio Network. Taking a closer look at the relationship between dairy and our beef cows. I'm Shaylee Peters joining you on the Rural Radio Network. And we get to visit today with a somewhat familiar voice. It's Don Close. He's with Bravo Agrofinance. And uh, Don, you're the senior animal protein analyst. We talk a lot about uh, what to expect in the cattle industry. And today we're going to talk about something that's kind of interesting and something you've been watching over time. You just released a report on it. Uh, integrating and bringing these to the dairy industry, the beef industry, together a little bit closer. Um, there are some hurdles to that. But let's start with the why and why you've been watching this. I think, I think this is a, a good program and a win-win for both beef and dairy. Uh, that it, it breaks down a lot of the silos that have always existed between the beef and, and dairy space. The, the why of what brought this about, I think you've really got to go back to the, the drought years of, of 2011 to 13. And as cattle inventories were really shortening up, cattle feeders and ultimately packers were just looking for, get me animals in here, I need whatever I can get. As the beef herd started to repopulate, packers became way more critical of the Holsteins and, and basically in 2016 went to the cattle feeders and said, look, we'll give you a year to work through any inventory you have, but at that time we're going to stop. Well, that caused a near collapse in, in Holstein Dale calves. And so at the same time, we had seen a steady erosion in fluid milk prices and dairies were really looking for any avenue possible to generate some income. So the, this program came about, the, the beef on dairy calves will enable that dairy to sell a calf at 100 to $150 over what that Holstein, purebred Holstein calf would bring for male calf. So that's kind of the, the start of the why. The other thing that has really uh, accelerated this whole program is with the 
use of genomics or with the use of a better measurement of, of milk production by cow, but dairies are able to identify the top 30% of their cows. So if they identify that 30% of elite cows in any dairy, they can breed those cows with sex semen to female semen to, to generate their herd replacement animals. That in turn opens up 70% of those cows to breed with beef bulls that they can sell for the higher value. So it was kind of a, the culmination of economic necessity and technology came together at the same time providing the opportunity. Beyond the economic side of it, why, when you started to look at this, you found that the genetics worked out okay. It produced a decent calf. Maybe talk a little bit more about that because there is some opportunity um, with these genetics beyond that. I, I agree with that completely. And you know, we talk about this whole development coming about in the last year to 18 months. And in reality, there's been a, a lot of people working on these crossbred animals for the best part of a decade. When they first started off, the idea was we can put any beef bull on a dairy cow, get a crossbred animal that will work in the beef chain. That proved uh, less than successful. But there, and, and there has really been some keen focus, largely from, from large operators, uh, largely from the, the beef genetics companies have spent a lot of resources developing this. And what they've landed on is they've really needed to incorporate a large degree of continental breeds. So limousine, Simmental, um, those continental breeds enable the, the muscle definition in that purebred dairy animal to really fit the conformity needed for an ideal beef animal. If you t and then they further refined that and they, they still felt they needed to add some, that while they got the, the muscle definition from the continental breeds, they still needed to add some kind of domestic beef genetics that were strong in grading capabilities. So that in turn led them down the road. They're using a lot of Semangus bulls on the Holstein cows they're using limb flex bulls on, on the Jersey cows. And that's, that's the closest thing to a magic combination we've found so far. That provide, they have the, the requested muscle definition, but incredibly good grading characteristics. So we're talking these with the inherent grading capabilities of a, of a dairy animal. You add just a little bit of influence from the bull side of that equation, and we've got a crossbred animal that, in most cases, is predominantly black. These cattle will grade in excess of 80% choice or better. In many cases, their target is to come up with as many as 20% prime-graded carcasses. So with the animals that are fully have a beef conformation or are solid black, Many times they will fit under the, the CAB specs. So we're really talking a, a high performance, high quality animal. An added benefit to this as traceability is getting so much attention and the, the ability to source and age verify these calves at the dairy of origination plus a secondary confirmation of being able to document the breeding records of those cows, a lot of these calves have have double traceability 
uh, capabilities. That that may the traceability component, the gradability component, makes them ideal candidates for a branded beef program in the domestic market, or it makes them an ideal candidate uh, if they're managed the right way to be uh, a, a very good export product. So that's that's a lot of the appeal. All right, thanks so much, Don Close, Senior Animal Protein Analyst with Rabo AgriFinance. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Zero. Time for us to take a look at our midday business report. Scott in here with you. Bob Brogan coming up in just a little bit. Tough day on the markets around the world. The Japanese Nikkei being the exception, they were up 78. The Hong Seng in Hong Kong was down 43. London's FTSE down 11. And the German DAX index up almost, or down, excuse me, almost a percentage point, 125. The 10-year yield here in the United States down nearly 3%. The Dow Jones Industrial Averages is down 193. The NASDAQ down 105. And the Standard & Poor is down 23. Bob Rogan for more. Stocks edging lower in trading on Wall Street following a record-setting day for major indexes. The virus outbreak originating in China remains a lingering concern as more companies say they'll be affected. Morgan Stanley is buying online brokerage E-Trade for about $13 billion. Discount brokers like E-Trade have engaged in a vicious fight for customers since late last year when Charles Schwab Corporation announced it would eliminate the fees it charges customers for trades. Weeks later, Charles Schwab and TD Ameritrade Holding Company said that they would merge, creating a colossus of a rival for E-Trade. Victoria's Secret is being sold. The company has been beset by falling sales and uncomfortable questions about its billionaire founder who has run the company for five decades. Company owner L. Brand says the private equity firm Sycamore Brands will buy 55% of Victoria's Secret for about, for about $525 million. The Columbus, Ohio company will keep the remaining 45% stake. L. Brands had come under scrutiny because CEO Les Wexner has ties to the late financier Jeffrey Epstein. And also, Valmont Industries is reporting fourth quarter earnings of $35.7 million, and uh, the results did not meet Wall Street expectations. Those are some of the stories we're keeping track of. All right. Thank you, Bob. Input sought at a upcoming March 2nd soybean gall midge meeting. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskit. Growers who dealt with soybean gall midge infestations in 2018 or 2019 and those who are interested in learning more about this newly emerging soybean pest are invited to attend an upcoming roundtable discussion again on Monday, March 2nd. The Nebraska Extension program will be from 9.30 in the morning to 3 o'clock in the afternoon at the University of Nebraska Eastern Nebraska Research and Extension Center at Ithaca. Justin McMechan is a University of Nebraska Crop Protection and Cropping Systems Specialist. He joins us now as we discuss the topic. And Justin, tell us about the goal of this upcoming uh, roundtable discussion. Our main goal is is to learn from growers in terms of, uh, and that's consultants and ag professionals, on what they saw during the 2019 season. Of course, we want to share what we've learned about soybean gallmage thus far, and uh, this is currently a four-state effort, so we've, we've got quite a bit to share. 
but uh, we also uh, need to align things for this coming season to determine uh, where we're going to set up studies and uh, obviously a monitoring network that we have. Uh, so this is kind of our, our way of connecting with a lot of people really quickly and sharing a lot of thoughts and ideas. What are some of the things you've learned? Uh, I, I know you in particular have been following the soybean gall midge as it's made its way into Nebraska over the past couple of years. It's uh, crazy to say this, but we've only been working with this insect for about 17 months now. So uh, things are rolling on pretty quick. We, we learned about its emergence uh, this past spring, uh, which is longer than what we'd anticipated and, and is creating a lot of uh, headaches for growers and others that are trying to manage it. Uh, and we went through the season trying a, a bunch of different techniques and tactics on Unfortunately, nothing is, is uh, yet to show complete control of this pest, but I, I think a combination is going to eventually get us there. Uh, actually, just in the last uh, couple weeks to a month, we've, we've learned a lot. So, you know, you, you call a week later and there's always something new showing up, but uh, we were able to isolate uh, soybean gall midge from, from the soil samples that we collected last fall, and there are surprisingly large numbers out there. Uh, but we don't know what that will mean for 2020, but growers should be prepared uh, if they've had pressure, we're probably going to see it again. How big of an issue do you see this being for soybean farmers? Are you able to track this back to an actual yield loss that they're experiencing in the field? Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent question. We, we get that a lot. What is the yield loss with soybean gallmage? How, how big of a deal is this? And, and unfortunately, we don't have a, a tactic where we can completely keep them out to know what the yield potential is on, on fields uh, where they're present and to determine loss. Uh, but growers told us last year about 17 to 31 percent losses on a whole field basis uh, where they had presence of soybean gallmage and it was significant. I would guess things, and, and my guess is the conversation on March 2nd will be that things looked a little better in 2019 and our losses are maybe half of what they were in 2018. Uh, I hope that continues, but uh, all understanding from related species in, in other parts of the world is that uh, once these insects become established, they, they stick around and they continue to cause losses, and environmental interactions kind of dictate how bad that might be. Back to the event. It's a roundtable discussion happening on Monday, March 2nd at the uh, the Eastern Nebraska Research and Extension Center near Ithaca. And so uh, do you want an RSGP from folks to, to let them, let you guys know that they're coming to the event? Yes, please. Yeah, because we're getting a number registered already. We do have a maximum number that we'll accept so we can have these uh, smaller discussions uh, and so, yeah, people go to the Eastern Nebraska Research and Extension website or type in Soybean Gallmage Roundtable. Uh, they'll see the flyer and, and info pop up. We do need people to register, and that's actually next week is the deadline on Thursday. University of Nebraska Crop Protection and Cropping System Specialist Justin McMeckin has been our guest. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Network. Let's talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. John, taking a look here at our grain settlements across the board, lackluster trade with some pressure to the downside, and it just seems like there's some opportunity for the bulls, but we just can't quite close the gap. No, I, tomorrow we'll get probably a little bit of better news from the, from the Ag Forum. Uh, today they talked about supply, at least in the early presentations. Tomorrow they'll touch a little more on demand, although... Sonny Purdue poured some cold water on the market saying that he couldn't provide a timeline for these Chinese purchases to come in. So 
I don't know if the USDA will be admitting much. So in the next USDA reports, you're going to start to hear carryover numbers for 2020 and kind of what the uh, you know the math looks like. And honestly, with demand static, it's it's going to be an ugly picture for corn. Soybeans a little bit more rosy, just considering where we were a year ago. But you're still looking at a carryout hike if uh, if we grow the yields. They're saying we're a long way from doing that, but I think in the near term, with no bushels in the ground, the market doesn't have a whole lot to trade on. So I think the the easiest way is is lower and you know we're in that period with the week to go before delivery where we tend to see the market sell off um although this time we're doing it from the back of the curve as you're seeing really tight spread action between march and may may corn at four cents so that tells me that there's still some demand out there in the near term part of the curve but longer run here 388 i think you know the optimism that that this thing can go to 450 is still there but i think you know, these acres numbers, it also brings out 330, 340 uh, come the second half of the year uh, when we have the crop. So USDA, Rob Johansson, their chief economist, kind of outlook of maybe 360 cash corn, 880 on the soybeans. Is this really going to nail and tighten in how close the farmer's going to have to be on his marketing plan in 2020? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, again, you got to sell it when it's scary. That's the that's the best advice I can give anybody. Sell it early and sell it when it's scary. That'll burn us at some point. That'll burn you, and you'll you'll rule the day you listen to it. But you know, if you take that advice, the last five years you've done very well. Um, you know, when it's a flat market, you just got to turn off the screen and walk away. If you got corn, um, don't hold it till the end of the market. Don't hold it until you have to sell it. That would be the one advice. And again, if we have a crop. Nothing changes on the dollar side, and that's such a hard thing to predict. But if we have a crop and the dollar still stays up here near 98, 99, it's hard to see us not being back near 340, 330 like we've seen the last few. Not not last year, but we saw it, you know, 2018, 2017, um, you know, us really dive into the harvest. And I think that that is probably likely to happen again. Again, we've been talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. Find more out about their newsletter this week in grain at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, trading futures and options involves risk of loss. may not be suitable for all investors. Consider these risks before investing. That'll do it for our midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts on krvn.com. Sponsored by Divinity Motors. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Divinity Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DivinityChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Divinity deal.